Welcome back to another vaulted episode on the Fade to Gray family. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Lucas Starr this last February. Lucas was the bass player in Terminal, O Sleeper, and he also played in other bands such as As Cities Burn. In August of this year, Lucas admitted himself to the emergency room complaining of abdominal pain. It was discovered that he had stage 4 colon cancer. In October, Terminal reunited for a benefit show to help offset Lucas's medical bills. It means a lot to me that I was able to go to that show and see Lucas light up the stage one last time. Lucas continued to fight the cancer for three and a half months. Last week, unfortunately, Lucas passed away. Lucas's legacy will continue to live on through his music and the kindness he showed to everyone he came across. I hope this episode will honor his memory. You had a pretty big role in helping me gain confidence as a musician because we were a no-name shitty emo band from Oklahoma who was playing at Midlothian one day, and you're just over in the corner, um, the bass player for a pretty popular Dallas band, um, Letter 12, and you listened to us, and afterwards you wouldn't stop talking about how good we were and and it just it really took us to another level as far as confidence goes because we thought man if if lucas likes us and he's in this awesome band which well i really do want to talk a little bit about letter 12 with you um but you know i would definitely like to get the guys on at some point to do a letter 12 terminal o sleep or whatever um but you know we thought if if somebody from this caliber of band is giving us these compliments then we must not be that bad so it was it was revolutionary for us that you were such a nice guy and you were saying such good things about us and you would you know when we'd see you shows and and stuff you would just remember us and you would talk to us and it was just really cool it was a really really uh a neat thing for for all of us so dude that that's that's really cool man i uh I've, I guess I've, I've seen a lot, like, you know, we've played with a lot of bands that, you know, just from kind of all over the country over the years. And I don't know, I I can't say that I watched them all, you know, and, um, you want to, you know, you want to always check out the bands you're playing with. Sure. Um, sometimes you're just exhausted and everything, but, um, you know, having you guys at that point closer to, you know, our hometown and everything, uh, I, I think it was a really cool way to build a bond. Um, and I mean, and we were trying to kind of reach out to bands in States connecting to Texas. Cause we were, you know, at that point, you know, we were just trying to get out of Texas in any way that we could, you know? Um, but I do, I do remember you guys were being, were very impressive. And, you know, when you, when you play with so many local bands, you know, the ones that actually have their stuff together and they seem very professional, they stand out from the rest. And I remember you guys standing out for sure. That's a really sweet thing for you to say, man. <laughs> Still, after all these years, like, uh, what, what is it, like 15 years later, you're still saying nice things. So. Oh, bro. No, this is all rehearsed, man. <laughs> I've been practicing this in the mirror all day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, man, I, it, it's important, man. And I, 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 we've been there. I mean, dude, for us, it was under oath. You know, under yeah. oath kind of gave us our shot. And I remember the same thing, looking over and seeing them watching us and just being like, oh, my gosh, maybe we don't suck, you know? And um, it just takes that band, you know, or that person or that that special moment, that show or whatever. And we all have it. We all have that moment that we, we always revert back to. And I do this because of this moment, you know, or whatever like that. And uh, 
I don't know. Like I said, I definitely, I definitely haven't seen all of the bands that we played with, but I, I tried to, uh, I tried to let the ego fall down every once in a while and just, you know, give another band that feeling that we all need to get started. Yeah. I've never, ever sensed an iota of ego from you, uh, ever. So bro, that, that means a lot. I, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've heard, I've heard people say the complete opposite, you know, that don't, that don't really know me. And, um, so that's, that's really cool. I actually, uh, I told you I was going to try to derail you as much as possible on this podcast, <laughs> but, uh, my buddy Ryan and I, who actually, uh, you know, was, was one of the founding members of letter 12, uh, we're all still so incredibly close friends right now. And, uh, that's awesome. We've been going on this whole journey about ego and what it does to us as people. And, uh, I don't want to get too far into it, but, um, it's crazy to look back now on just, you know, being a young kid in a band and having an ego, you know, you're 21, 22, your band's about to get signed or it just did get signed. And, somehow we tell ourselves we're important and somehow we tell ourselves that this matters or that, you know, we've accomplished something and, you know, Ryan and I are, you know, in our thirties now and we'll talk and we'll be like, dude, ego is such a crazy thing that just gets in people's minds and poisons the things they love, the, the, the people they love. And, uh, it means a lot to hear you say that, you know, it didn't seem like we had egos back then because, we definitely had egos back then. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we, we would, you know, we would always try to be like, you know, the nice guys and like, oh, great set, you know, and oh man, cool band and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, absolutely, dude, at that age, I, I had probably the worst ego, you know, and sometimes I look back on those moments, you know, and all the many bands that we got to open for that got to open for us. And I'm like, man, there's no way I represented myself in a cool way to a hundred percent of them. You know, there's just no way that you can, you can, can try to be the coolest guy and the nicest guy. And, uh, there's just no possible way to, to truly represent yourself 100% in some of those situations. And so, you know, we would get the emails or the messages like, ah, oh, these guys are really full of themselves or stuck up. And you're like, yeah, rightfully so we probably deserve that, you know? And it was a learning experience and, you know, we get old now and, you know, now we're all like, most of us are married and have kids and, you know, we still like jam from time to time, but it's totally just, we're grateful to just be playing music still at this age. There's no, you know, we're not trying to like get signed or, you know, there's, there's nothing really anything like that. It's just, it's just fun to still be creative at this age. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Was Letter 12 your first band? Uh, man, it wasn't. I, I had a few bands in high school. Uh, one of my first bands was a band that I, I moved to Utah when I was in high school and I had a band with my cousin and, uh, man, it was, it was crazy. We, we were pretty much like a POD corn ripoff band <laughs> and we fought over which band we wanted to sound more like, you know? And, um, I moved back to Texas my senior year and, uh, started a, you know, a band in high school with a, a buddy of mine named Justin Allen. And he's pretty much the guy that kind of got me wrapped up in everything. I remember going to shows, you know, around the Dallas area and getting plugged in with like local musicians and the letter 12 dudes were one of those certain, one of those bands, you know, kind of like I felt the way about them, the way that you felt when you said, you, you know, we were watching you. It was like, I was a fan of letter 12, you know, like they were, 
they were doing like really cool stuff. And I was like, I was playing in a couple of different bands. I think I was in like two or three bands, but I remember always thinking like, if that band ever asked me to join, like I would totally join that band, you know, like I just felt like they were, they were kind of the same intense type personality that I was. And I don't know. I, it, it's so weird to kind of think back on how everything played out. But, uh, I remember getting a phone call, uh, my sophomore year in college and I was about to take a, a math test and I was like stressing over this math test cause I didn't really study for it. And I would rather be like, you know, jamming with my friends. And I get this phone call from Matt Lucas from letter 12. And he's like, Hey, uh, we need a bass player this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally said, bro, I'm walking out of this math, this test right now. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'm, and I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I drove right over to their practice spot and I dropped out of college and it was probably the worst decision I've ever made. But <laughs> hey, here I am. No, I'm just kidding. No way, man. No, man. I, I, w- I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, the the experiences and just I'm I don't know, man. Like ten, you know, ten, twelve years later, the terminal guys are like seriously some of my best friends. You know, and I mean, we went through you know all the immature stuff that you know young kids go through, and you know, we've all shared words with each other and everything, but I can honestly say that like those four dudes are like some of the coolest, most legit caring dudes that I've ever met still to this day. And, uh, you know, I don't know, like I'm just, uh, things could have happened a million and one different ways. And I always just think like, how did I end up with those guys? You know, like it was just such a kind of a dream come true. And, you know, of course with that, you know, comes what we talked about earlier with like ego and stuff, you know, it's like all of a sudden now I'm in, one of the biggest bands, you know, the local Christian bands in Dallas, Fort Worth. And it was like, you know, they all kind of carried themselves a certain way. And so I kind of just fell right in line with that, you know, but, uh, yeah, they, they called me one day and I I dropped out of college to go tour the country with letter 12. (laughs) That's an awesome story. You never even took the math test. You just said, Nope, done. (laughs) <laughs> Bro, I quit. That was the day I quit college, you know, and I think back and just on all of like, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, now I'm like, man, I could have still been taking classes. <laughs> I could have been <laughs> doing stuff from the road, but it was just like in my head, I was like, I, I think I was like, nope, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in this band or whatever. And, uh, it was just, it was just kind of like, that's what I had made up in my mind, you know? And, you know, here I am however many years later and I, it's weird, you know, my, you have to kind of shift your passion and, and how you direct it, but it's all still there, man. Like that same kid that you saw watching your band, like I'm still that same guy excited to put on shows and to introduce artists to each other. And I think I just find, uh, I find rewards in different things other than just getting on stage and being in the spotlight. You know, it's, it's fun to kind of put other people in the spotlight. Well, with what you're doing right now, it seems like you're a real advocate and lover of music, musicians, art. Um, so when did you first realize that music is what you wanted to do? Oh man. Um, I think, uh, so my biological father, who I didn't know a whole lot about, but, you know, my mom would tell me stories and show me pictures. And uh, he was a, a musician that, you know, ran a like a bar venue in Odessa. And I mean, he did the he did the like Texas country thing, you know, and, you know, she would always tell me these stories. And I, I always wonder, you know, like I was raised by a stepdad, but I somehow gravitated back to who my father was. 
And that's always kind of weird to me just because I wasn't raised around him and I didn't, I didn't know him that well. And I, and now I'm an adult and I, I do all these like weird things and I have all these like weird, you know, quirks about me or whatever. And I know that they don't come from like my mom's side of the family. And so you always wonder if like, you know, you're separated from your dad, but he was this certain type of dude. Would you gravitate to that kind of person? And I guess in a weird way, it was just always in my blood. It wow. had to have been, you know, cause like, I don't, I don't know why I care so much about this and why money just doesn't matter to me, man. Like as much as I wish it did, um, you know, I wish I, I wish I just woke up every day just thinking about like how I could make more money. And it's just so far from where my brain is at right now. Um, but yeah, I guess to answer your question, I remember, you know, trying to play guitar a couple different times in high school. And then I remember, uh, you know, I, I told you how I moved to Utah my junior year. We had some some family that lived up there, and we kind of wanted to take a break from Texas. So my junior year, we move up to Utah, and uh, while our house was being packed up, the only thing that I had was like an acoustic guitar that my biological father had left for me, and it was the only thing that I ever had of his. And uh, it was just kind of sitting there in the corner, and all my video games and whatever else I had was packed up and, you know, about to be taken to Utah, and I, I kind of sat there and just started figuring this guitar out, you know? And I mean, this is before there wasn't really like YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of it was just, um, hanging out with dudes I went to church with, you know, um, my, my buddy BJ Fowler, he was, he was a, a huge help. Uh, Justin Allen, those are two dudes that really just kind of like sat there and just showed me, you know, some basic chords and I just kind of ran with it. And, I don't know, still to this day, man, like, I feel like I'm an okay musician, but I feel like I've been very, very, very blessed to play with these incredible musicians that literally make me look so much better than I am. And I mean, I'm okay at guitar and I'm okay at bass and I can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I've always played with people that are so far ahead of me um, in that sense. And I've always been the organizer and the guy that's, you know, is comes up with the band names. I've always named the bands and I've always, um, you know, helped name songs and, you know, I don't know. I always been the idea guy, but, uh, you know, there's so much about music and music theory and playing and being a guitar player and a bass player that I'm the first to say that I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that great of a musician, but I, I feel like probably every musician says that about themselves. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sound that way either. Uh, but I, I, uh, I just kind of taught myself and I figured out enough to like figure out chord progressions and then how to put a lead over a chord progression. And then that lead's going to need a rhythm. And, you know, um, you don't really have to be in crazy good at, an instrument to write music. And I think that's the beautiful thing that we're kind of figuring out with all of these like home studios and people that are recording yeah. in their bedrooms um, is that, man, like there's really minimalistic, awesome electronic music that I'll sleep to at night that just blows my mind. And it's not, it's not from a music theory perspective, like anything super crazy or impressive, but it's good. And people are able to express themselves. And I think maybe I kind of got caught up, and the fact that, like, dude, I could still do music and just make sure that I'm always surrounded by dudes that are, like, really, really good, you know? I mean, dude, Shane, Blay, uh, I think back on some of the stuff. They asked me to play a turn, or they asked me to play an O Sleeper reunion show for the Doors farewell show. And, like, my heart dropped, like, for a second because I was thinking, like, how am I going to learn those songs again? Like, it took me so long 
to learn those songs in the studio. And sometimes I would have to play them part by part. And Shane would have to, you know, there were times that Shane would take the bass and be like, no, let me just do it. I'd be like, dude, please. Like, you know, and so I think uh, I think maybe the reason why I've gotten to where I am and I've, I've gotten to play with so many good people is knowing when to like knowing when to say, hey, if you can track it better, like it, there's no ego. Knock it out, bro. You know, and um, man, I have I just I, I think of all the musicians that I've gotten to play with. And it's just I'm very fortunate and I'm very lucky. And I've learned so much from these guys. I mean, as musicians and as people uh, and I'm just forever grateful, you know. Absolutely. And I definitely want to talk about all the musicians that you've been playing with. You actually sent me uh, several songs from different projects you've been a part of, and I want to talk about each one. Um, but first, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Letter 12. Um, there was a song that I think might have been uh, a two-song demo that you guys recorded to shop out to different uh, labels, and it had a song called I'll Take What I Can Get. Mm -hmm. And there's one part where all the instruments drop out except for the drums and you, the bass player, uh, and, mm -hmm. and Travis. And it's right such before a, the chorus kicks in. Exactly, and it's so cool. Like, I remember the first time I heard that, just thinking, oh my God, that is so badass. Like, could this band be any cooler? And, and uh, you did that, like, it was the baseline, you know, that, that did that for me. It was just so rad. Man, there was a there was a band that we were like really, really heavily influenced by called Recover from Austin. And uh, their bass player and drummer always did they would like kind of foreshadow the riff that was coming and it would like everything would drop out and it'd be like a bass and drum thing and you'd be like wait what and then the guitars would come in and it just it would always sound like really heavy and so i think that there were so many parts that we would like write in you know letter 12 and terminal where we'd be like dude you know in that glass jaw song where they do this and then that would just be the inspiration for that idea and um that song specifically i i, I believe the intro to that song has a part that sounds almost identical to a U2 song. <laughs> and we have like, a, I mean, I remember getting like emails and stuff and being like, did you guys like intentionally do that? Because it's like, it's not like, oh, that kind of sounds like it. It's like, holy crap. Like that's the beginning of that song we wrote that we thought we wrote, you know? <laughs> um, and I can't remember what the name of the U2 song is, but I'm pretty sure it was that song. And then the other song on that EP that you were talking about, that, that little demo that you were talking about, I think was called Bless the Air. Yeah. Had a really electronic, like a long electronic yeah. intro, yeah. Yeah, we added, yeah, there was a Travis ended up adding an electronic uh, intro kind of to it later, but I'm pretty sure those were the two songs that Tooth and Nail signed us on, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they were absolutely awesome. When you guys got signed to Tooth and Nail, did they ask you to change your name to Terminal or did they ask you to, to change your name? How did that work out? Man, that, that was just, that was a very, uh, that was a very, uh, crazy kind of process because I think that you know we were in we knew that the name needed to be changed you know the whole the whole name with letters at the end thing had kind of been done a lot and we were you know we were there was Blink 182 Project 86 some 41 SR 71 you know like there was yeah. just so many bands with letters after their name and we were just trying to you know we were just really wanting to do something cool and um, I'm pretty sure that we had, I think Terminal came from a song that Travis had written on the album and it was called, I think there was a part in there where he said something, it's Terminal. 
and we went through like a couple of different band names, almost named the band Roulette. Something ended up happening. The label said we can't name the band that. And last minute, I'm pretty sure Travis just said, why don't we just call it Terminal? And everyone, we were just, at that point, we were just kind of needing the tooth and nail deal to move forward so that we could all put out an album and go on the road and stuff. And I think everyone was just like, cool, Terminal, sounds good. And we just went with it. Um, But, you know, Letter 12 was... I, I was in, you know, the, the end of that band, but Letter 12 was a different band before, you know, I joined. And those were a bunch of friends that like went to high school together and they skateboarded together and they had this kind of camaraderie. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, James and I joined and I think we just wanted like a kind of a clean slate. I mean, we were, we had decided that we weren't going to scream as much and we were going to try to write some, some more like rock anthems and, you know, Travis was getting really good with like writing melodies. Um, and you know, we were, we were at that point, I think we were wanting people to think that we were grown up and writing mature music and we were wanting to be more of like a Jimmy world type thing and, you know, less of a screamo type thing. So, well, you know, Travis has such a unique voice and, um, the difference between your sound on that demo that you shopped around and the actual album that you guys recorded, the sound was a big, big change. For the better, that album, I don't know. I'm really bad at categorizing things, but it's it's an album I go back and listen to all the time. It's such a good album. So good. Bro, thank you. That, that means that means a whole lot. Like I uh, we were really young. I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't even 20. Or, I don't think I was 20 yet. So we were like the other dudes had to have been a couple years younger than me. So, you know, we were like 17, 18, 19 years old. And uh we were very fortunate, you know, to get to go out to Seattle and uh, Chad Johnson and Tooth and Nail. They they took us in, man. They treated it. We we just we didn't even know how good we had it. <laughs> we you know we were getting flown up there. They were they were putting us up in nice hotels. They were buying us food, and we I don't know like maybe the other guys were like really surprised, but I, it just kind of seemed like we were like oh yeah, it's finally happening, you know. But <laughs> yeah. like looking back on that now, it's like oh my gosh, you know, like what a cool opportunity. And not only that, I'm getting to do it with like my friends who all love the same things I love, you know? And, uh, it, it was really cool, man. We, we learned a lot about each other going up there and record. I mean, we had never done like a for real studio and we had never had obviously a label throwing money at us and, you know, not that they were throwing money at us, but we had a budget for, for most of the things that we were wanting to do. Um, and I'm sure that we were pretty annoying to work with, honestly. <laughs> I mean, dude, think about, think about dealing with some 17, 18, 19 year old kids that think in their mind that they're going to be the next big thing. And just, you know, we're talking to grown men that are like paying mortgages and, you know, having to go home to their wives and over the dinner table be like, oh man, we're, we're working with this band of kids that just. God, they're annoying. <laughs> you know, like, who knows what kind of conversations happen? But I'm sure, I'm sure we were, I'm sure we were a lot, you know. And we were, we were recording in the basement of the Tooth and Nail office at the time. And so, when someone wasn't recording, the other four of us were like, literally going up to like everyone's office upstairs and like bugging them while they're trying to work. And you know, I remember. I remember my friend John Frazier, who now uh, he works for, or he has uh, Spartan Records. Uh, man, we used to go into his office and just we would play with his desk toys. 
we would just ask him like, what band is this? What are you guys doing for this band? And like, I'm sure that those two months that we lived there, they didn't get any work done. (laughs) I don't know. You know, like you think back on all this and then, you know, later on you meet someone like you that's like, oh man, that, that, that album's in one of my top 10, you know, whatever. And it's it's just like thinking back, like we were just a bunch of goofy kids messing around, but it never gets old hearing, uh, you know, someone say, hey man, something that you did 10, 15 years ago is still relevant to me. So thank you, man. And, and, and I know that other dudes feel the same way. That's very cool of you. Well, I remember it may have been at that show where you announced your new name. I just remember going in and I was looking at the merch. I'm like, who the fuck is Terminal? <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't see them on the bill. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think we really prep people for that. I think we were trying no. to just have a clean <laughs> slate and move on and kind of make yeah. people forget, you know, who letter 12 was. Right. Maybe I don't know. Well, we were excited to see letter 12 that night and, uh, I didn't see any merch for letter 12 and I thought, man, I was going to buy some stuff, you know, but I, I guess I just wasn't thinking, oh yeah, they're changing their name, idiot. Just wait until they, uh, you know say their name and then you'll figure out who it is. But I think it was at that show, Lucas, that um, you took me out to your van and you showed me some of those new songs from that album. And it wasn't finished yet. I think maybe it was like a rough copy and it was just the coolest thing to get to go out there and listen to that with you. And you were so kind uh, to to let us hear that before it was even released. And I just oh, bro, remember being that's, super excited. That's about awesome it. that you even that you even wanted to hear it. Like I don't know, like <laughs> to have to have someone that's just excited about something that you're doing. I mean, think about like think about now in the age of social media with so much content and everyone's throwing stuff at you. You know, like think about getting people stoked on you know your podcast or man, I can post a picture of my dog and it'll get a hundred <laughs> likes, and then I post some picture, you know, or I'll post a song. Or I'll post something musically I'm working on and just, eh, okay. You know, so to have anyone say, hey, would you show me something that you're doing? Just doesn't happen. Like, that's not what people do. No, normally, you're like, hey, you want to hear this? I know you really don't, but check this out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I I feel you on that. Like, it's it's hard now to to get people to get excited about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. If it makes you feel better, bro, I've listened to every episode of your podcast so far. <laughs> Thank you, man. That's awesome. I, yeah. I listened to the, the Pearl Earl one uh, a couple nights ago. Uh, my, my girlfriend and I, we just kind of had it on and we were just, I don't know, like you you have a great voice and you have, you have a really good personality for doing this. So I think it suits you well. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Pearl Earl was they're so good. Dude, it's awesome. It's ridiculous. A fun fact about that episode is that their producer is Brat Cantrell. Um, Brat Cantrell tried out for O Sleeper. He was one of the guitar players that that auditioned for O Sleeper. Oh, cool. Because he was originally the, the the one of two guys in Sky Eats Airplane. And really? Sky Eats Airplane split, and Brack went off to do his own thing, and Lee basically got the dudes from in theory, which was a Weatherford band to join. And they kind of like kept going with the sky. It's airplane name. But at that point, Brad Kentrell was kind of looking for other bands and him and Shane were buddies and he came out and tried out for the band. And I don't remember what happened, but that dude was a really, really, really talented musician. And when I heard his name on the Pearl Earl podcast, I was like, that's what's up. That's my, <laughs> that's my homie. That's awesome. I haven't talked to him in a while, but 
I mean, he's a really talented dude. Just so to know that he's still producing and, and doing music related stuff that isn't metal is really cool. What year was that? Cause I know terminal broke up. Tell me about Oh sleeper. When did you guys form and, and how did you guys decide to kind of go that direction? Uh, there was a lot, there was a lot that happened in between terminal and Oh sleeper. Um, Terminal kind of ended in like this like super weird way and everyone kind of like disbanded for a little bit. And uh, literally the day that Terminal broke up, we were in California, like outside of L.A. or like Orange County area. And um, Travis, I think, got his gear and like the merch and got into another band with another band. And we decided to just take everything and come back home, which in hindsight, just, you know, another shitty thing that we did as a young kid. And, you know, just, we weren't really thinking of like the repercussions or how this is going to affect this person. And I know now as adults talking to Travis, how much that hurt him, you know, and, uh, it, it sucks, you know, to, to know that. But, um, anyway, so yeah, we, uh, we decided to drive home and on the way home, I sent Colin from Acidies Burn a text and I just said, Hey, terminal just broke up and I'm heading home. And he said, how fast can you get to Baton Rouge? Or I guess, you know, they were, they weren't like, I guess they were outside of Baton Rouge, like between Baton Rouge and new Orleans. And I was like, man, like I, as soon as I get home, I'll throw my stuff in my car and head that way. And so we drove, I think two days back to Texas from LA and I, think I stayed the night in my bed and then drove out to New Orleans and rehearsed with Acidies Burn for two days. And then we went on a tour. I don't remember who it was with, but uh, we, it was some like metal tour. And then that led into the Emory Gym Class Heroes tour. And then after that, I went home. So Pascal came back to Acidies Burn and I went home for a couple months and then I flew out to California and played guitar for a couple of tours with a band named Sherwood. And they were like a, I like remember a that band pop emo, awesome band that I just, I was already a fan of. They had like written like some of the catchiest songs, you know, of anyone in that scene. And I had met one of the dudes, I think when letter 12, it was still letter 12 at that time. We played chain reaction and I talked to Nate Henry, their singer and bass player. And we just kind of, you know, kept in touch. And, um, he called me one night and he was like, Hey man, so we got this tour coming up and we need a guitar player. We'll buy you a Telecaster. Can you fly out here? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you, you guys don't have to buy me a Telecaster or anything. Like I'm not really doing much. I'd be glad to fly out and, you know, do a tour with you guys. And so, you know, went out there and man, to be honest, during that time, I was just, I was very young and, you know, just an immature kid just out on the road. And, you know, there were a lot of things that I'd probably put those guys through that, you know, we can laugh at now, but, you know, I look back on it now and it's just like, there could have been so many cooler memories and experiences. And just because I was young and, you know, far from home and I don't even know, I don't even, I don't have any excuses, but, uh, so I ended up deciding I didn't want to tour with them because halfway through that tour, I started talking to basically Ryan and Shane and we were like, dude, let's do something heavy, you know? And, um, you know, we had started kind of talking to the label again and, you know, we told them that we were going to record, uh, you know, an EP and we were going to send it to them. And it was really weird how all that happened. We ended up finding Micah on MySpace, I think. And we had a weird meeting with him. And the first time that we met him and, 
the personalities just kind of, you know, they blended really well and we were all kind of into the same like nerdy things. And we, I remember us telling Micah like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to record five songs and we're going to send it to the label and they're going to sign us and we're going to put out this song, this album by next year. And he was just like, yeah, right. You know, like there's no way that this is just going to happen like this. And man, we, we did exactly that. We recorded five songs. We sent it to the label and we were signed within like a couple months, you know, that's and, incredible. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, I'm, we also owed the label a lot of money from terminal because oh, terminal yeah. kind of bailed. Like literally, I think it was two months after that record came out, we broke up. So there was all of this money that the label had like dumped into terminal. And because we were just so young and immature, we were just, all right, we're just going to call it quits. And, you know, there was all of this money that we had never recouped. And so some of, you know, part of me thinks that maybe they were so quick to sign O sleeper because, you know, we owed them money and maybe they thought that if we, you know, did another project that it would, you know, kind of take off and maybe make their money back, you know? And I think they believed in the music too. You know, I mean, we, we were kind of coming off of a pretty trendy kind of sound and under oath was like, raining you know supreme and we were totally kind of riding that whole seeing scream thing um so i don't know i just it, it happened again one of those situations where i'm like man i could sit here and try to get that kind of attention all i want for my music right now and it just it wouldn't happen it was just right time right place the right people believed in it and all of a sudden no sleeper was like the next big hype band you know Was Vices Like Vipers one of the songs that you sent to Tooth and Nail or to Solid State, I guess? No, it wasn't actually. Vices Like Vipers was the first song. Um, well, okay, so I take that back. We put, we did a five song EP before we, you know, the, the, the album that we, the EP that we sent the label. Uh, it was a five song EP that we did with uh, our friend Braxton. And um, it was super raw. Nothing was really tuned. It was like, it was honestly awesome. I mean, it was very raw and punk rock. And I mean, even some of the songs that we re-recorded for When I Am God, they lost that like cool grittiness that the EP had. You know, like the EP just had this like kind of like, I don't know, it just, it wasn't perfect. And that's kind of what was cool about it. And so when we tried to recreate those songs perfectly, some of them almost even just like lost their heaviness almost, you know, I don't really know how to explain it, but, um, vices like Vipers was like the first song that we wrote, uh, on, you know, after signing to solid state that we were like, this has got to be the song that we lead with. You know, um, I remember Micah and Shane coming home from the studio, uh, after they had written like the chorus or like some of the melodies and they were like, Hey man, you guys got to come down to the van and listen to this. And we're like, all right, you know, so we go down there and, they put it on and we all were just sitting there like, Oh my God, like this is, this is like catchy, but it's like heavy. People are going to be like chanting it. The whole, like when I am God chant ended up being like my favorite part of the set every night because we would just cut out and the crowd would sing it. And it was just like, it was just such a cool moment where we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, Oh yeah. Like we're about to freaking, we're going to drop this and people are going to love it. And we were stoked on it. And, um, I don't know, man. It just, it kind of just, it, it, everything just snowballed from there, you know, and, and people started caring and, um, it, it was like, you didn't have to try, you know, in those moments when it's right. And when the timing is right and everything and all the stars align, there's nothing that can stop 
what's happening from happening. And I think that's what's epic about it is that once you take your hands off and you forfeit control, that's when I think shit really happens. So, and it was cool, man. It was a good time. I, I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. Absolutely. That song is ridiculous. Like whenever, and, and I know you're not playing the guitar in that band, you're playing bass, but uh, Shane Blay, when the lead line comes in, I don't even know how to describe it. He's just, you know, going up and down the scale and, and everything is just so badass. Bro, he's, <laughs> so not, he's not even human. No. <laughs> in terms of like, uh, as a guitar player, I mean, we're still lucky enough. He, uh, me and a couple of the original terminal and no sleeper dudes, we have a project now that we're doing called silver tongue. And Shane is actually the producer of that band. So he's kind of like the, the ghost member, you know, the fifth member that you don't see in pictures, but I mean, he's very responsible for our sound. And so just to see him transition from this insane guitar player to also like a really good producer and like sound engineer um, is just really crazy to see him grow like that. And he's one of the people that like has probably taught me the most just because he's so much better than me at music and he's never made me feel like I suck at music. You know, he's always been like, man, that was really cool how you did that, that, that bass thing or, you know, that riff or whatever. And I'm just sitting here thinking in my head, like, man, that would literally be the easiest thing for you to ever play, you know? And so I appreciate the compliment, but he just never, you know, I mean, he, he was completely aware of his own talents, but he never uh, made me feel like I was as far behind him as I actually was as a musician. Cause he is, he's on some next level stuff. He even sounds like a robot. Like when he right. plays, it's just like, it's just like, dude, you're a machine, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very, like I said, I'm very lucky. I think people come up and I think they think I'm going to be some kind of shredder or something. And I'm just, I'm really not. I've always, my motto is just to keep up with Shane. That's it. <laughs> if I can keep up with Shane, I guess I'm not getting kicked out of the band, you know? How did you leave the band? Oh man, there was a... It's just a, a crazy time in my life, man. Um, I was probably 25 when we went in to start recording our second album, which was called Son of the Morning. And um, we we did it in Richmond, which is where we did all the O Sleeper albums. Was It was in Richmond with our, our friend Andreas Magnuson. He's the drummer of the band Scarlet. And uh, he also was like the hidden member in O Sleeper. I mean, we he was very responsible for the sound and the production, uh, you know, and sometimes some of the writing, you know, he was just, he was very involved. And, um, I remember we were staying in Richmond and we had been there for like two days. We were starting pre-production on son of the morning. And I got a phone call from my dad and he was like, Hey man, I just wanted to call and let you know that, uh, you know, they found some cancer and we're getting it taken care of. And I don't want you to freak out or anything. And of course I, you know, freak out and I'm like, I'm coming home right now. And he's like, there's nothing that you can do. Like, I need you to stay there. I need you to just keep recording. My mom assured me there's nothing you can do. I was like, all right, cool. You know? And so, uh, we finished the album, you know, I got to go home and see him and, you know, we toured, uh, for the next few months and, we went home and it was, I think it was like a couple of days after Thanksgiving and we were going to go do a run of shows in California. And we got like to Weatherford or like a, like an hour outside of Fort Worth. And my mom called and she was just like, Hey, uh, have them, have them drop you off. You know, like he's not, he's not going to make it, you know, two weeks. And so they dropped me off and, uh, 
our friend Nate Grady, who ended up playing in the band after he ended up taking my place in the band when I left. Uh, he was our merch guy at the time and he filled in for those shows and, uh, you know, ended up losing my dad within seven months of finding out, you know, that he had, you know, pancreatic cancer. Um, I was getting to that point in my life where, you know, we were, we were in a weird spot where like half of our fans were like super, super devoted Christians. Half of our fans were just like, they love that we shredded and we partied and, you know, I don't know, like there was, there was all of this kind of stuff kind of coming to a head and, you know, I'm 25 trying to figure out who I am and what I believe. And I remember just thinking like, I think it's my time to step down because there were things being said in our lyrics and there were things that I was being questioned about and asked at the merch table after our shows. And I didn't want to lie, man. You know, like I didn't want to lie to these kids. I, you know, they would be like, well, how does this song make you feel? And, you know, are you a Christian and, you know, this and that. And I mean, those are deep questions just (laughs) to have as small talk. Those are not, you know, merch booth questions. Yeah, man. I'm expecting, Hey, I'm expecting, Hey man, good show. Uh, can I get that shirt? You know, whatever. But it would just, they would be these kind of like pretty emotionally and spiritually heavy questions, which, I mean, yeah, of course I believe in God. I don't know. I don't know if it's what we think it is, you know, and of of course I've got my own thoughts, but they really weren't lining up with what I think the vision of O Sleeper was. And I mean, Micah, Micah's a really, he's a really good dude. And I mean, he's like, he was the spiritual leader of the band. I mean, all of his lyrics are still to this day, some of the most powerful lyrics, whether you believe in God or not they're just crazy powerful lyrics and i love that you know like i I never wanted him to like you know change what he was saying but i just knew that for me i couldn't fake pretending to believe certain things that i think people thought i believed you know and so that combined with you know losing my dad and just trying to figure out you know i couldn't be in a metalcore band forever you know so at some point i think we were all trying to figure out when our exit was you know and uh, that was kind of when I took my style. I remember, I remember calling the guys and having them meet me. And I think we, you know, met for lunch one day and I just explained to them that I wanted to like move out of my mom's house and, you know, I wanted to get an apartment, you know, and I wanted to go get a job and figure out, you know, who I was outside of music. And, uh, it was healthy. It was, it was really, you know, I, I, I remember I quit the band and I didn't do anything musically for almost a year. Um, I didn't really write any songs or anything and I went and started bartending and started making really good money and worked my way into like a management position at a sports bar and a year into that I was like what the fuck am I doing yeah and I quit (laughs) that's crazy man like you and I have a similar uh story in that because I I started working at Chili's and started uh, making a lot of money there became a manager and then a year later what the fuck am I doing I don't want to do this forever yeah I uh I remember the day where I I went in and I was just like hey I I can't I can't do this anymore you know and um you know and, and in the meantime I had been like you know trying to do some musical stuff I mean this was after I left O Sleeper, it was no longer like, what does Shane want to play on guitar? It was like, if I was going to write guitar, what would I write? You know, and it wasn't the drum. I could program my own drums. What if I was going to program my own drum beat, what would that sound like? And I think there were probably a lot of nights that I came home 
from, you know, my, my manager job, you know, like, I mean, I remember getting home at three and four in the morning and, you know, after those shifts, you're so wired and you're wide awake, man. And I would come home and not have anything to do except for just play with my loop pedal. And so I started kind of figuring out what kind of guitar player I was. And, um, you know, through that, I ended up the drummer of Honey Lotus, Ryan actually, uh, hit me up and, we kind of started sending songs back and forth to each other, and that's how the At Night We Strike project with Brandon Wright came to be. Tell me a little bit about that, because uh, I listened to the song that you sent me, um, Your Own Skin, and it was mm-hmm. really, really good. How did that come to be? Is this after Dead Poetic had broken up? Yeah, man, De- Dead Poetic had been broken up for a while. I think Brandon had gotten married, um, and you know they stepped down from the band, and all those dudes kind of, you know, some of them joined the Almost Um you know, they all kind of kept doing musical things, but I just think Brandon really wanted to focus on his like design work. He's an incredible graphic designer in the music industry. Um, him and Ryan Sprague, the other guy in at night we strike, they are both, uh, probably two of the most talented graphic designers I've ever met. And, um, so to, to kind of for a brief moment, have a little side project with those guys. It was, it was pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I don't even remember how that even all happened. I think Ryan hit me up one day and we were we had a few singers in mind that we had been talking about. And um, I, I don't know if you know Ryan Sprague from Honey Lotus, but he's he's one of my good friends and we've been in a few projects together. He's he's kind of my go to in terms of, you know, when I need a rhythm guy who also can do some badass designing, he's my go to. And, um, so he had this idea. He was like, Hey man, I know this is kind of a long shot, but what if we sent this to the old singer of dead poetic? That was like one of my all time favorite tooth and nail bands. And like, man, I of course wanted to like entertain the idea, but like in the back of my head, I was just like, this is one of those things that he's just dreaming way too big. Sure. And he's probably not even going to like, you know, write back, you know, and I think within like a week or two, uh, we had like some demo ideas from Brandon and he was basically talking about wanting to do a full length. And we were just like, Oh, this could kind of be cool, you know? And so Ryan and I, over the next few months, um, we wrote 10 songs and, you know, uh, with our buddy Andy who was recording and producing all of it. And, um, he was living in New Jersey at the time. So, when you have Brandon who's living in Ohio and then our producer lived in New Jersey and then me and Ryan were in Dallas, we were literally just emailing files back and forth, creating this song. And the whole thing was just one big email band, you know? And, <laughs> um, it just took a very, very long time and it was very tedious and it was a lot of work because when you're not there with the guys and you can see their face when you're like creating with them, it just made it really tricky, you know? And plus not to mention, we all have our own jobs. We all have our own lives. He's married, you know? And so that we all had things that were kind of like keeping it from making it like a main project. So we released that one song and it's been, I think five years now. And uh, we've got, we've got ideas for a couple of other songs, but it just, never really made it past that um and it's not it's not dead it's you know it's just not it's just kind of like uh i don't know it's just in a weird a weird spot right now but that project's called at night we strike thought people were going to like care about it 
Um, and then a few uh, like big publications kind of posted about it and it kind of got like some buzz and then we just never got around to getting that follow-up song out and I think people now are just kind of you know hoping that maybe someday we'll we'll put out something and I do too because we have we have tons of content um, you know and once Brandon Reich's life slows down I would love to maybe put out another song or two and you know we don't have to play shows it doesn't have to we don't have to tour you know but just to be creative with multiple people is something that I've realized as an adult that I really need you know like it really makes me happy to have multiple projects that are all completely different so that I can kind of switch in and out of these moods, you know, it's almost like a super group, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, it that's really crazy. Was. I mean, it was, it was really cool. And I mean, there were so many people, I think, I think having Brandon Reich's name on it just made it like such a more legit thing, uh, you know, and there were so many people that I think he left wanting more when he stepped down from dead poetic that all of those people were just like, oh my gosh, it's so good to hear your voice. You know, I mean, he just has that really cool Brandon Reich tone, you know, almost like Chino from the Deftones or something. He's got that real signature sound. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Brandon Reich. I love that, you know? And I was a huge Dead Poetic fan way before we even signed to Tooth and Nail. So, I mean, I remember... I remember emailing their manager, Nathan Mallon, and him sending me a bunch of postcards before their first album dropped. And I would like go pass them out at letter 12 shows, you know? So then to come full circle and to kind of have like a, a side project with the guys is, is, is also one of those situations where I'm like, how did I end up in this situation? Like how, how do I keep finding myself in these cool projects with people way cooler than me? You know? Well, it's because you're as cool as them. You just don't realize it. That's what I don't know, man. We, we, we've all got our days, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that I'm, uh, I'm sure that I'm an interesting person to work with. And I know that, uh, I know that I'm an intense, an intense guy. And I think some of the people that I work with, it's too intense for them. And we probably don't work together for that long. And then some people I think just realize that I, I truly love music more than myself probably you know and those people that understand that i just honestly just want to make the best thing that i can i don't think take it so personal you know um but yeah like i'm i'm aware i'm aware of how i am and i'm aware of probably being a pretty uh, particular person you know to work with and to create with and well it shows like everything you touch is good everything that you've played bass on or even guitar on uh you mentioned sherwood earlier it's good stuff i mean Thanks, man. so you've got something you've got a real talent and i'm glad that you're sharing it with the world and not just keeping it to yourself thank you brother i i appreciate that and i'm i appreciate you know the people that you know have taken chances on me without really knowing if i was capable you know i don't know like sherwood took me out on tour and they had never even like seen me play guitar you know and i'm like going out there like can i do this like can i pull this <laughs> off i'm a, i'm like i'm a pretty decent bass player you know but like i'm about to go and like learn all these guitar parts for this you know pop band that is a completely different style of than anything i've played and i think that at that moment i knew that like i was like at least good enough to like write music and to play music with professional musicians and uh, i remember being kind of like proud of myself for you know <laughs> i don't know maybe i maybe i sucked that whole tour and they just didn't have the guts to tell me i don't know <laughs> i seriously doubt it so you you were talking about honey lotus and at night we strike band you also sent me a song 
the the project is called Sir. So can you tell me a little bit about that? So uh, Sir is Honey Lotus. So okay. Sir, okay. So Sir split into two parts, pretty much. One of those parts is Honey Lotus. The other part is Royal Mercenaries. Um, I think whenever I started Sir, it was uh, the guy's name is actually uh, Brandon Dalton is his name and um okay i i discovered him uh actually uh his band was playing a cover of a nine inch nail song um at this like pub one night it was like a wednesday night and my girlfriend and i walked in and you know this dude was not only like playing this like super funky bass line but he was also singing this super like i mean pretty rhythmically intricate vocal line you know, separate from that. And I was just like, I was like super impressed. I'm a huge nine inch nails fan. So that's obviously what caught my attention. But the fact that this like little skinny white boy (laughs) was like just jamming this baseline and like killing it. Like I just couldn't stop. And so I was like, I have to buy this guy a shot. And we ended up like hanging out a couple of times. Like if he was, you know, playing at a bar near me, we would pop in and see a set, buy him a drink, you know, and we kept in touch for about a year Um, and then I don't remember what happened, but I basically just hit him up and I was like, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to try to do some like R and B music. (laughs) And it sounded weird just because like at that point I had only done, you know, like mainly like rock stuff, you know, or like metal music, I guess. And, uh, I was just, I was kind of just itching to like do something totally not Lucas star, you know, just totally like, wait, what? And this dude, I just like, I, he had it, man. He had exactly, he had exactly what I think I was like looking for, which was just a little bit of weird, a little bit of sexy and a little bit of funky. And it just was all wrapped into this like tall, skinny, lanky dude that was just killing it. And I loved it, you know? And not only that, we kind of became pretty good friends over the course of a year, just kind of like texting each other kind of randomly. And, um, we wrote a couple of songs together that ended up being the first uh, Sir slash Honey Lotus songs. And um, I finally ended up introducing him to the other dudes in the band. And uh, we wrote an EP together and I had some ideas where I was kind of trying to do something like super weird and just like I wanted the the project to be uh, strictly you know, like features and just have it be like one big open collaboration where maybe different people played on each song, you know, and it was, it was kind of weird and out there. And I, I totally get it that they didn't want to really do that. They were kind of wanting to do the more of the traditional, you're the singer, you're the drummer, you're the bass player whatever. And I think that instead of like breaking the band up and saying, well, I'm taking my band and going home. I think I just said, cool. Well, I think I'm going to like step out, but I would still like to consult slash manage help you know whatever they need help with and still be a part of the band but just not necessarily a playing member in the band and so um there was also another band that was getting not a band there was a rapper that was getting pretty big um i think he's on i think he's on like kendrick lamar's record now uh, oh wow but he, he was going by sir and so his song started showing up on our Spotify page and people were like, is this you guys? And we are like, no. So I think gotcha. that whenever, I think that whenever I stepped down from the band and branched off to kind of do the Royal mercenaries project, uh, I think they took advantage of that opportunity to say, Hey, we're going to kind of shift directions a little bit in terms of our sound. And it'd probably be a pretty good idea if we started rebranding our name and 
um, trying to, you know, separate ourselves from this other artist who's getting pretty big and popular. Yeah, that that was that was me. Sir was me trying to do something I had never done before, and and in a, a genre of music that I had never done before. Um, we had a, a my buddy uh, Elliot Tobias. He's a he's a, a hip hop artist from Dallas who's incredible. We had him on a few songs, and so you know when when Sir would play live, he would come out and hop on a few songs and. It was just kind of this like weird thing that just I don't think that anyone in the O Sleeper, you know, circle or fan base really would like or understand. But it was fun for me because I mean, it was just a totally different world in terms of this the sounds that we could use and you know, just how you could make the, you know, the art look aesthetically, you know, it didn't have to all be so like dark and grim and uh, scary. And, you know, we could find ways to like incorporate more mature uh, topics into it, you know, and it just, it kind of just like formed into that. And now Honey Lotus is uh, still going strong and they actually, they played our showcase this past weekend and um, we are meeting, you know, in the next week or two to kind of discuss what the future of Honey Lotus is. And I really I'm hoping they'll let me, you know, kind of manage them and, and consult them and just help them, you know, continue to help them, you know, because, man, those those dudes are some of the most talented dudes uh, that I've met in a long time. But, yeah, so, I mean, Sir, Sir for me was uh, it, it, something shifted, I think, in, in who in who I wanted to be as a as a maybe not as a musician, but just in the music world, you know, cause at that point I had put together X amount of bands and I had named them and I had branded them and, you know, the artwork all matched and everything was like really cohesive and everything. And then I started like realizing that maybe I'm better at starting bands than I am at finishing bands. Like maybe that's my thing is that that's interesting. I, I'm really good at finding talent and people that, you know, are really good and then putting those players together and standing back and seeing what happens, you know? Is that kind of what Royal Mercenaries is about? Oh, yeah. That's total. I mean, that's that's pretty much... I mean, the whole thing kind of has been evolving over the last year. But the, the concept was um, was just, yeah, bringing, literally connecting everyone. And, and I think it started out as maybe musical artists. But now we've branched out to, like, painters and photographers and videographers and... Uh, now I, I'm wor- I'm fortunate enough to work with with enough artists that I can kind of start representing artists and and helping with booking and management and um, continuing to connect people. I don't know, man. There's just not enough people that are willing to like work with each other. You know, everyone's so threatened by everyone, and everyone thinks that this person's coming for their spot, or if maybe if I shout this person out, they're going to take my followers or something like that. And that's just such a weird concept, man, because to me, it's like, if, if I go somewhere, my whole circle is going with me, you know? And if anyone in my circle gets somewhere, they're taking me with them. And that having that mentality of just everyone that you care about and, and everyone that you want to succeed, helping them succeed so that all of those people want to help you succeed. That's so great. How how would you categorize what it is that you're doing with Royal Mercenaries? I mean, it it, it is definitely uh, it's an artist development project for sure. Um, but I think what makes what makes it different is that, like like the idea of that, like when you're in a band and 
you know, as a band, you release songs or you play a show or you release a video. But outside of that, I mean, that's pretty much all a band does, right? I mean, those are, those are the main things that you do as a band. What if there was a band, but this band also painted or this band also booked events that maybe they didn't necessarily play, but they were all artists that they are somehow affiliated with. And it just made me think like, what if I just had a project that was literally an open art collaboration? And if I wanted to like release a short film, I could release a short film under Royal Mercenaries. If I wanted to, uh, you know, release a song or release a mixtape featuring all the artists that I work with, I could do that under a name. And so for me, it was really just a way to get um, you know, the freelance graphic design work that I do, the music production and songwriting that I do, and everything that I do musically kind of under the same roof. Um, and then, you know, incorporated my girlfriend who has a business degree in marketing, and she's also an art teacher. And so she has helped me legitimize this into an actual brand where now there's a clothing line that's about to like, you know, divide off and, and, and kind of take shape on its own and we're about to start managing and representing artists and after this army of artists showcase we realized that hey we can throw pretty badass parties too so why don't we throw a couple of badass parties you know a couple times a year and have a way to fund our brand you know without having to like crowdsource or anything like that is that what the army of artists was about bro that's that's all what that was about that was me that was me my girlfriend and about six of our friends and we were sitting around basically trying to figure out a way to like have an event that included everyone that we knew even the even the people that were just creative that weren't musical how could we get them involved and around that time I went to a show at the Deep Ellum Art Company and I like walked in and it was just like there was an art gallery wall. There was a a 50 foot bar. There was a stage. There was a place outside where people were just doing like, you know, graffiti art and spray painting and stuff. And I was just like, this is so cool, man. Like, I I just think that like you can't really expect people to want to come see your band and that be it anymore because everyone's been to shows before. Everyone's seen your band. Everyone's seen every band. So it's like, hey, come check out some live music and while you're at it, there's going to be artwork available and we're going to have a food truck out there if you want to get some food and there's going to be alcoholic beverages if you feel like having some drinks. And it's just, it's more of an event rather than just, Hey, come check out my band, like break their stuff on stage, you know? (laughs) And that's kind of what that turned into. But at the same time we were like, if it's successful, maybe we can use that to kind of like reinvest into the brand and to keep growing it. Um, and so right now, man, I don't really know what it is. I don't know how to file it into a category. I just know that, um, I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of different, uh, mediums that I want to create under, and I don't want to be limited to just a band Yeah, to just, just releasing music because sometimes I'm not in a creative mode musically and I want to like do something that's not musical, but that's still creative. And I want to be able to do that under the same name, you know, you're enriching the experience to where you're going to make people get off the couch and stop watching their favorite band on YouTube. Um, you're going to have them actually coming to the shows or to the events because it's, it's more than just a band playing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It's the, I mean, I'm creating, I'm creating a whole atmosphere to where, I mean, hopefully 
I mean, most people that are into music are into like other creative things. Most people that like art probably also like music. And if you like music, you probably also like movies. And if you like movies, you probably also are into like fashion and stuff like that. And so all of those things are so, so, uh, you know, very closely connected um, that it's not a long shot to say, hey, if we had this event that literally tapped into all of these different art mediums, would that be more of would there be more of a chance that those people would get off their couch like you said and come out to the event and man we had a we had a really great turnout i had a bunch of people that were just like man that was that was like the most fun party i've been to in a while and that was the best compliment was because i just really wanted a bunch of creative people that i really respect and admire all under the same roof a few drinks deep hugging each other listening to some good music and i mean man it was just it was so cool and it literally it just inspired me to you know i want to do it again next year and i want to make it like an annual event that brings creatives from all over you know and maybe at some point it'll be like an event that people look forward to you know who knows i cannot wait to go to the next one for sure i'm super stoked on it did um did silver tongue play at the army of artists so they didn't um and we're still uh that's kind of like that's i think what i'm planning on tackling next so um like i said that band is uh it has james and ryan who were both in uh terminal and the first rendition of oh sleeper and then uh my buddy kyle is he sang for a band called bell epic yeah his that's right it's basically it's ryan's uh it's ryan's little brother's band and he sang for that band and now kyle is singing for uh, silver tongue and it's really cool because Shane's producing it. So it's pretty much like all familiar faces. We all like really understand the chemistry between each other and how it works. And now that we're older, I feel like we respect that a lot more, you know, than when we were younger and we all just wanted our part to be heard the best or whatever. At this age, we can all just kind of be like, oh, that is cool. You know, there's been times where they'd be like, you know, Lucas, what if you did this on bass? And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like 10 years ago, you guys would have never suggested something like that you know and so it's just it's a totally different approach and it's really fun just to like meet up with these dudes once a week once every other week and just kind of like catch up and to just not be you know in the real world for a couple hours while we jam you know and that's even though I'm doing I'm trying to expand into more like management roles and I'm trying to kind of like grow into the actual music industry there's still always a a part of me that it's just going to love just kind of like jamming in the garage with your with your friends and um and i don't know that that's what it is for me it's it gives me a a night to just kind of like have some beers with the buddies and jam music it's it's been fun man so i was actually going to ask you because i uh i listened to that silver tongue song that you sent me blood in the water and i thought man the vocalist sounds very familiar and i actually was going to ask you if it was the bell epic guy so i'm I'm glad i uh figured that out but that that says something about his voice that it's uh pretty unique and uh and really really uh he's got a beautiful voice man Uh, it's it's incredible (laughs) <laughs> Kyle, uh, I've worked with I've worked with a few singers, and Kyle he has this range that I can't even really explain, and it, and it, and he can tap into it in a certain style of music, and I feel like Silver Tongue is like his his best project because he literally showcases his whole range, and and it's not you know it is it is aggressive, but there's not a lot of screaming. But then if he does get aggressive and scream a little bit, even his scream sounds really really cool. And so just from a dynamic vocalist perspective, he's one of the most dynamic vocalists I've ever worked with easily. 
and I was a huge Bell Epic fan, honestly. Like their their last Likewise. EP, The Delusions of Man, was like yeah one of the most underrated local uh, you know albums. And I just I wish more people could have heard that because had they stuck with it for another album or two, I think they would have blown up. But those, I mean, those guys, those, since, you know, obviously since David and Ryan were brothers, they were like our little brother band. And, you know, and we, we would take them on tour with us. You know, anytime we wanted to, like, sell out a hometown show, we just knew we'd put them on it because, our, you know, it was the same fan base and we would just kind of do our own thing. And so now, you know, to kind of be split up, but in a different project with, you know, a couple different members from that circle is really cool. say that uh, the influences for Silver Tongue would be almost like a 30 Seconds to Mars? Uh, would you say that they would be kind of an influence in that? Or, or how would you describe the sound of, uh, of Silver Tongue? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Kyle is personally uh, influenced by Jared Leto or 30 Seconds to Mars, but like I definitely have used that band as a reference when people ask what it sounds like. You know, um, musically, you know, obviously it's James, you know, from O Sleeper. And so he's got his style that he brings to it. But like, you know, we are all really, really huge Deftones and Glassjaw fans. And that was kind of, I think those were like the main two bands that we were like, man, let's do something along the lines of that, you know, like heavy, but not, not heavy in the way that like metal is heavy, but just heavy right. in terms of like big crashy drums and like, you know, low tuned seven strings and just, make it heavy, but not necessarily fast and stressful, you know? And so, you know, you mix the whole Deftones glass jaw vibe with the music and then you throw, you know, like a circus survive 30 seconds to Mars type vocalist on top of it. And that's kind of, those are the bands that I kind of use to describe the, you know, to use to describe the project. But, um, I'm not really sure like what the other guys are listening to these days. Cause you know, every time like we hang out, it's, it's a lot of hip hop, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so, there's not really a lot of like newer heavy music that we're like stoked about, but when we get together, we definitely will bust out some of the old classics and, you know, get in, I mean, dude, we, we never don't get inspired by a Deftones album. So at They're any so moment, good. it's a good time to put on a Deftones album. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I love Chino Moreno's voice. Have you guys recorded, um, as Silver Tongue, have you guys recorded more than just that, uh, one song? Have you guys recorded an EP or anything? Yeah. So right now, um, and you know, just kind of with how the music industry is and everything, I think everyone's trying to figure out the best way to release music now. It's like, well, is it an EP? Is it a full length? Do you release singles and then, you know, hope that people care? And so, um, I think since we weren't trying to put a whole lot of expectations on this and just really, we're just trying to like have fun and just enjoy the fact that we were writing music together and friends at this age um we just started doing singles and so right now we've got uh three original songs on our soundcloud um and a cover that we did for uh this is a song that lara lynn uh did for the true detective soundtrack and we kind of did like a heavier you know version of that song and then we've got the three originals but we only have uh two songs right now on itunes and spotify um, and I think we're just trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to release this, you know, I mean, we put the songs out there just so that people are aware of it, but, you know, moving forward, once we start releasing EPs or full links, we need to kind of have a plan, 
Um, and I just don't know really what that is right now. And I don't know really if anyone in the music industry knows everyone's hopping from the new app to the new app, hoping that this new app is going to be better than the old app. And it's just like, what are we doing, man? The way that people consume music now is so different than the way you and I would have done it when we were first getting into music and we, you know, bought a lot of records or CDs or whatever it was. And, um, you used to have to hunt for the music that you were looking for. And now it's just so accessible. And, and it's almost like, it's almost like people don't really know where to start to look for music that they might like. Uh, and so they don't, at least from my perspective as someone who's getting older, I I've almost stopped listening to new music and I hate that. I know, you know, and I don't want to do that. I just, what do we do? <laughs> do, do, do you, I mean, you do have Spotify and stuff, right? Yeah, I have Spotify. Okay, so spot Spotify's actually got a pretty cool, like a, uh, They've got like, you know, new music radar and stuff. And so what it does is, you know, through the algorithms and stuff, it takes all the bands that you like and listen to. And if any of those bands or anything tagged in that genre comes out or is new, it throws it on like a new music playlist. And so a lot of the stuff that I'll find will either be on that new music playlist or like, you know, some kind of curated playlist that they've made based on the songs that I like. And man, I, I agree. I don't go out looking for those, but every once in a while I'll find some new band that has like a thousand followers and they just have this song that I obsess over. And that's, I think the beauty of, of having, you know, these Apple music and title and Spotify and all these things is because it is so accessible. But like you said, there's so many people releasing so much music every day, so many different podcasts getting released every day. At what point, how do you, how do you keep up with them all? There's no way that you can. And so I think that true music fans, they, they go down those rabbit holes. They, they get lost on that. Like, Oh, this band only has so many followers on Spotify. I found them before anyone really discovered them, you know? And then two months later, that band has the number one song on alt nation on like a satellite radio. And you're like, ah, I knew they were going to be the next big thing, you know? Yeah, but, but you the, also have what, a talent. Get it. What's that? I was going to say, yeah, but you also have a talent for knowing whenever someone's good. Okay, I got I, I, I to gotta give my girl credit for that too, man, because she, uh, there's been, since I've met her, there's been at least four or five bands, The Neighborhood being one of them, that she showed me way before. When she showed me The Neighborhood, I think they had like 4,000 followers or something. We went and saw them, I think, open for Purity Ring at Trees, long time ago and they were just you know young kids and hadn't really done much and literally the next year they were blown they had signed to like columbia or capital or something and they were just literally blowing up and she was like i knew it as soon as i heard that first song from their ep i knew that they were going to be huge and she called there was like two or three other artists that she did the same for and i it's kind of when i knew that i had found the one because i was like dude (laughs) if she knows the hits before i do she's got to be onto something she's a keeper yeah, for sure. So she's she's actually, I think that that's a pretty good judge of how you've like found someone that you know is special is because if they show you a song, for me, if someone shows me a song that I get obsessed over, because I obsess over things that I like, if someone shows me a song that I obsess over, that's a pretty big deal, you know, because that means that they figured out what it is in my head that makes me like that certain song. And and they knew I was going to obsess about it. And she does it constantly. Like every week she'll show me some song that I'm like, remind me what that song is so I can add it to my playlist. Cause that song I've been singing it all day, you know? And, and that, that's honestly why, like I trust her, you know, 
helping me with Royal Mercenaries is because when we go to scout singers, you know, we, there's been so many times that we go and, you know, there's some singer that I'm talking to that we're trying to develop and I'll say, Hey, you want to tag along with me on this, this dinner or this meeting that I'm about to have? And she'll be like, yeah. And she'll just come and she doesn't really say much. And she'll just kind of sit there and listen. And then we'll get in the car and I'll be like, so what do you think? And she'll shoot me completely straight. She'll be like, I either think he has it or he doesn't. And a lot of times it's not even based on his musical ability. <laughs> a lot of time it'll just be like, you know, trying to figure out, you know, if this person has something other than a good voice, you know, does he have the star factor? Does he have the work ethic or does she have the work ethic, you know? And so she's a very, very good judge of character and a second opinion on any of the artists that I approach or work with. If she's not down with them, then I don't really typically work with them. Well, that's a good partner to have for sure. Uh, what's her name? Her name is Lauren. Lauren. Okay. Yep cool yeah she's she's pretty incredible so how do people find out more about royal mercenaries so man good question it's kind of happening a lot quicker than i'm prepared for uh, especially with like the the whole army of artists thing kind of took off and we got a we got a lot of positive feedback and people being like hey i don't care what it takes i want to be a part of it next year i had people from out of state hitting me up saying is this coming to other states and i'm just like what like this is the whole, the whole freaking fest came together because I sent a bunch of emails to like my dream lineup thinking that maybe half of them would say yes. And all of them said yes. And I was like, well, crap, now I got to figure out how I'm going to pull this festival off. Cause everyone's down to do it. And you know, stuff, stuff like that, I think is, is learning to kind of like, you know, roll with the punches and, and, and learning how to, to really develop a brand on the fly. You know, because I, I don't, I'm, you asked me, where does this category, where does it fall? What category does it fall into? Like, I don't know because it kind of has a bunch of different sides to it. And, um, after this, this army of artists showcase, I really, uh, realized that, you know, maybe Dallas, but also other places, you know, in other States, people are looking for something like that. You know, they're looking for something that there's not ego in where it's just like, do you create, are you obsessed with creating are you so obsessed with creating you can't sleep at night? Awesome. That's what we want, you know? And it's just one of those things where you meet people that have it or they don't, you know? And you can see the people that you start talking to about creative stuff and their eyes will glaze over and you know instantly, like, lost them. Bam. Three seconds in, lost them, you know? And then I'll just, like, start talking about, like, I don't know. So did you guys see the Game of Thrones episode last night? <laughs> yeah. You know, something we can all talk about, maybe. I don't know. After this uh, showcase, we kind of realized uh, that we kind of need to get our stuff together. And so we're in the process now of like, you know, her and I are going to have like legit business cards. And I mean, where the website's going to be tweaked out to where you can, there's going to be a shop where if you want, you know, if you want to shop the apparel, you can go there. If you're trying to like submit your band to have us listen to it, you can submit it there. Um, but yeah, that after the show, it definitely inspired me to kind of get uh, what it is and what we're offering to make that a little clearer. Because I, I do realize that it's vague and it's intentionally vague because I don't really want everyone to be involved with it. You know, I want it to kind of be this cool, exclusive thing that people are like, what is that? I don't know what it is, but I want to be a part of it, you know? And um, I think that as it kind of takes shape and forms and, and, and evolves into whatever it is, uh, everyone's going to have a, a clearer understanding and the, the people that are going to be involved, you know, it, their job is going to be so obvious because they came right at the right time, you know, and I'm hoping to get all of the, uh, the online stuff to where 
uh, it makes sense and people can just go to royalmercenaries.com, which we, we already have the website. It's just not much of a site right now. It's just kind of uh, a little bit of the work that we had done and some pr- promo tools and stuff. But uh, yeah, in the next couple months, definitely uh, keep an eye out for that because uh, like I said, we're expanding into booking and management um, and I'm wanting to do you know any any facet of artist development that we could possibly offer, even if it's just consulting. I, I, that's what I want to do, you know, and just help those artists and whatever that feeling that you said that I gave you, however many years ago when I didn't even realize I was giving you that feeling. Now I'm trying to give people that feeling, and it's cool because uh, you see things, you know, when you compliment someone on their art or their song or something that they did, and you see that look in their face where you can tell that they they know you believe in them. That right there sometimes is the only confidence that an artist needs to put themselves out there or to release a song or to release a podcast or, you know, to put yourself out there is a scary thing in general. And so just giving people that confidence and, and just showing them the way sometimes I think is the only thing separating someone from being the next insane art, you know, amazing artist and then just someone who's just a really incredible songwriter that never leaves their bedroom you know as big as I, as big and broad as I can take this thing I'm going to and I mean I know that realistically I'm going to have to bring some other people on board because I'm already stretched so thin and just sure my days are like pretty crazy in terms of like I'll go from like silver tongue practice to like writing like a hip hop song with a rapper and then, you know, doing a podcast with someone else talking about bands I was in when I was 18, (laughs) you know, and just flipping in between all that sometimes is a a bit much, but, uh, absolutely, man. And any, any type of creative thing that I can do or promote, uh, and be a part of, I, I just, I think that it's for the best. And I mean, dude, your bandology podcast, like I said, I, I wanted to know and, I wanted to know kind of what you were about and what, you know, what your show was about. And so I listened to all the episodes leading up to this one. And I think you have something really cool, man. And I, like I said, man, you got that, you just got that voice, bro. It's just, I could, it could put me to sleep. It's just soothing. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. It is interesting how I think that, uh, as, as we get older, you know, you think back on like, you know, back when you were doing like fight song or I was doing like letter 12. I mean, we are, by definition, completely different human beings. Yeah. And, and the things we thought and the, the things we thought we knew we didn't. And, and, and none of it, we weren't right probably about most of it, you know? And Absolutely. so the, the odds that you would continue to be as close with those people 10, 12, 15 years later is so unlikely. And I think that that's why I feel so lucky to not only be playing music, with some of those guys from back in the letter 12 terminal days, but to like see them on a weekly basis. And it's like the best vibes, you know? And I mean, we went through some stuff where we were just really shitty to each other, you know? And, and I can honestly say at this, this point in our lives, like, man, like anytime I see those dudes, I get really excited. And I, I don't think, I think thinking back, I, I would have never guessed that from them, you know? Yeah. Well, bro, any, anything else you want to know? Any other dark secrets that I could spill and tell? <laughs> One more thing, actually, I am kind of curious about because I remember, um, and I won't keep you too much longer, but I don't remember if you all told me this or if this was something that was just a rumor, but you mentioned earlier how Under Oath was really into Letter 12 and, and they kind of took you uh, guys under their their wing. Um, were they interested in having Travis come and replace Dallas? 
Oh man, now that you say that, like there, there was something about that. And I don't know, I don't think, I don't know if it ever got past like talking stages. Um, there was another pretty big, uh, Dallas band from back in the day. I don't know if you remember, they were on Pluto records called Evelyn. Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. So Evelyn, that was Shane's, that was Shane's original band. And, um, towards the end of Evelyn, they, I think recorded some songs with Travis on vocals and they, they they definitely played a show with Travis on vocals. And I actually got to witness that. And there's videos of it online, I think somewhere, but, uh, so he was kind of doing that. And at the point, at that time, I mean, we were cool with under oath, you know, but they weren't, they weren't the under oath that they are now. I mean, sure. like now they've kind of catapulted into this, like, crazy status you know of, of almost like you know emo hall of fame or you know screamo hall of fame crazy or whatever. how huge they got and um, <laughs> and the cool thing is is they never they never like treated us different i mean even in a sleeper like they took us uh they did a a european run it was like a two-week uh just in the uk we didn't even go to mainland europe and uh we got to go do the whole uh, uk with envy on the coast and under oath and they were just still cool to us, you know, and that was that was way in a sleeper. So um, back then, man, when all of that stuff with, you know, Dallas leaving and stuff went down, it still felt kind of like small time, you know, like this band that we heard of from Florida, et cetera. And it was like I remember the first time that they came to Dallas after they had uh, gotten Spencer in the band and they were parked out in front of like the door and we were, I think, I don't know, we were doing something. We were playing cards with them, hanging out on their bus. And they ended up having to get riot police out to like get everyone to chill. And so at that point we knew we were like, bro, they're, these guys are about to like blow up, you know? And you just, like I said, it's just, it's how I was saying earlier, where it's just like when it's the right time, the right place, it doesn't matter how hard you're trying to make it. Like nothing's going to prevent that from happening. And it was just one of those moments where I think everyone on tooth and nail and solid state, like we all knew under oath was about to just own it. And they did. And, uh, you know, went on and Spencer obviously was an incredible replacement, but I'm the Travis thing. I don't, I'm not sure, like I said, how far that got, but I did hear something about that. Um, and now that you're saying that it makes me want to call Travis and ask him, but I think that they, <laughs> I think that they had reached out to a few different singers just to see what their options were. And I think Travis had been mentioned in the list of that names, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you think like, had he ended up joining under oath, like how different, you know, everything would have been. And just, you know, like it would, you know, like who knows, like what even path that would have taken, that would have been. So, um, there's a lot of crazy things like that. Like, did you know that Colin from Acidies Burn was in, he was in O sleeper for like a week. I did not know that. Yeah, bro. Whenever uh, he was actually before James was in O Sleeper, Colin was going to be our second guitar player. And um, the plan was he was going to be in our band. Acidies Burn was going to do their farewell tour. This was like, you know, back in like, I don't know, maybe like 09 or it was probably, I guess it had to have been 08, 09 or something. And they were going to do their reunion tour and, I mean, I'm sorry, their farewell tour. And by the end of the tour, the the response was so overwhelming that they decided to keep going. And that's when they ended up, I think, recording. Just decided uh, to keep going. Yeah. Sleep. That's yeah. crazy. Wow. Colin was going to sleep. It worked out. It worked out seamlessly because our buddy James, who obviously we had been in bands with was, you know, there and he was, he already like knew all the songs and he was like super stoked on it. And so, uh, you know, he, he was there since the first show, but that was just kind of one of those, random things that like not a lot of people knew about that like literally for like a week 
Colin was going to be an, it was going to be an O sleeper and you know, that, that fair, that Essity or that Essity's burn, you know, farewell tour kind of took, I guess had gave them all a change of heart, but that could have also been another random weird thing. Well, dude, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and, and you're just such a sweet guy and, and that hasn't changed after all the years. So it was my pleasure, man. I I love what you're doing with bandology and, uh, man, I I hope that Royal mercenaries can help further band source and bandology. And I hope that I'm personally able to, uh, get you roped back into music in some form or fashion. All right. That's what's up, brother. Thank you, man. It was, it was, it was a, a pleasure and an honor being on your show, man. I mean that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time to do it. For sure, brother. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch and maybe we can do lunch or something sometime soon. Dude, that would blow my mind. Cool. That sounds great, man. Thank you so much. Have a good night, sir. You too, sir. Good night. All right, bye. If Lucas inspired you, join the conversation over at Marco Polo or let us know on Facebook and Instagram. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you'll join us on our regular episode next time on the Fade to Gray podcast.